I call it, it, when I talk about it with respect to Beyond Meat, I call it the flipping point as opposed to the tipping point. It's where, so right now when I talk about plant-based meat, people will, the question they'll often say is, well, why do you need plant-based meat? You know, but within five years, you're going to have plant-based meat is going to be at parity or better around taste, uh, superior advantage on nutrition. Uh, it already has a, an advantage against animal-based meat with respect to its environmental footprint. Uh, at parity or advantage with respect to cost. And then you flip the question, and I could see by 2030, people saying, well, why do you need animal-based meat? What's the, it, it, you know, the only difference is that we have to kill a sentient being in order to, to do it, then let's leave, let's leave the animal out and, and just go with the one that's uh, cheaper, better for the world, better for the consumer. Uh, and so, so I think when you can flip the way people think about those things, and, and plant-based becomes the the, the, the default option, that's when you see, uh, you'll start to see a change. So hi, Earthlings, and thank you for joining me, Mark Garner, for another episode of the Mother Earth Heroes podcast, where we speak with inspiring people, designing companies, products, and systems, making a better world. So when you first start a business, there's an awful lot of learning by doing, and a lot of lessons that get learned quite often the hard way, you know, by making mistakes. But what happens when you come out the other side of that? What happens when you've been very successful, you've been through that startup mill, you've grown it into a successful business, exited, gone on to become a, an advisor, an investor? How do you approach setting up a new business? So how do you transfer that knowledge that you had from your previous business and the understanding to a new venture? And that's what my conversation today is with Seth Goldman from Eat the Change. Seth has been ahead of the curve in a number of businesses. Uh, he started 23 years ago a fair trade, low sugar organic drink called Honest Tea, which he sold to the Coca-Cola company. He then, he became an advisor and an early investor in Beyond Meat, and now he's starting a new project, Eat the Change. In this episode, you'll hear how he started out by establishing the guide rails for the new business, and how having constraints can actually sometimes make it uh, more creative, your approach, how you can look at waste and turn it into value, and the attitude that you need to have when you want to start taking a business and turn it into a movement, and of course, so much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Seth Goldman from Eat the Change. Well, great to be with you. I'm Seth Goldman. I'm the co-founder and chief change agent of Eat the Change, which is a new food company we're launching here in the United States. And we sell uh, planet-friendly or planet-based chef-crafted food. I've a lot on the series so far. I've been looking at sustainability and food. And a lot of the people I've been speaking to have been kind of in the startup space, people who are kind of getting into creating new business models. However, your journey is quite different. You've already gone all the way through <laughs> through several different kind of uh, variations. Yeah. Now, I came across this, and I really like this. Uh, I had, came across this Chinese proverb, which I gather is in your office. Yes. Those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt the people doing it. And right. I just love that. Right by but, the door. It says, it, if you're trying to stop us, just don't come in. <laughs> 
Okay. So then when you started Honest Tea, if, we, if you don't mind, we kind of yeah. go back a bit in time because I think this is important. 23 years ago. Okay. There were, there were three kind of aspects to it. I mean, first of all, which I think were really ahead of their time. First of all, it was organic. Yes. Secondly, it was reducing sugar content. Yes. And thirdly, it was about fair trade. Right. So it seems really, really ahead of its time. What, what inspired this approach and what made you think that you could do it? <laughs> well, you know, part of it grew, uh, it evolved organically. And I mean that in both senses of the word. Uh, when we started, it was initially just a less sweet drink. And that was the main gap I saw, the fact that I didn't want all that sugar in my drinks. And I, 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 had, I believe there had to be a few other folks who felt the same way. And so that was the core idea. And then we had some organic ingredients. But the wonderful thing about um, the brand name, and my co-founder, Barry Nielboff, who uh, came up with the name Honest Tea, and he, he had been my professor at the Yale School of Management, was that name gave us this charter to commit to continue to challenge ourselves around transparency, authenticity, and sourcing. And so organic was a natural outcome. Of course, we were selling into the natural food world, and that's a place where organic was valued. So we became the first organic bottle tea. And then as we learned more about our supply chain and got to get to these communities, whether it's India, China, or South Africa, we realized that tea is one of the world's cheapest commodities. And so we could be paying a premium for our tea, a premium to go back into these communities and still only be spending pennies a bottle. And so... Uh, fair trade was just a natural evolution uh, again. And, and then, you know, from there we said, well, if we're doing it with tea, uh, and tea is a very cheap commodity, turns out sugar is also a very cheap commodity. We can move to fair trade sugar as well. And we did all those things while still making a product that is, you know, not at the top of the market at price. And so um, for us, we one of the big goals is to democratize organic, to democratize the healthier drink democratize fair trade and make these available to a wide part of the population. Because that was a big part of it as well. You then had the opportunity to to scale it, as it yes. were, by yeah. going to partnership with Coca-Cola. Yeah. Um, what what were the benefits of that? I mean, this is yeah. a complete change, I would imagine. I just Well, like... you know, no, because what, what we, we started with the idea that if what we do when we make a few of our products is a good thing, if we make more of our products is a better thing, then we should be trying to make more of them. We should try to sell more of them. It's better for the consumer, better for the planet. And so then it means we need a partner who can help us scale. And so we were fortunate that Coca-Cola needed a drink like what we had. And uh, we highlighted there was an opportunity there. And so we we um, grew our distribution. When Coke first invested, we were in about 15,000 stores. And you know by the time I left, we were in over 150,000 stores, including places like McDonald's and Wendy's and Chick-fil-A and Subway. I mean, real, you know, broad-based mass chains that, yeah. that you know, had the ability to bring it to all types of places we couldn't have gone on our own. And we also started to internationalize the brand. We launched it in, uh, for, you know, European markets and some other markets where certainly had helped to see it go. What was the, the, the biggest lessons that you learned through the Honest Tea experience? You know, that was... Yeah. We have to prioritize taste. You have to focus on that. And so there were many times where we had a passion around a particular um, uh, you know, idea, mission-related idea, but it didn't taste great. And, and the product failed. I was like, well, you've got to make sure the product tastes really good. Uh, and then the other piece is never, and that's part of a broader piece, which is never lose sight of the consumer. You know, often I was pursuing these things because I was personally passionate about the impact like you can never lose sight of that's not what the consumer is buying. The consumer doesn't say, I want to go help someone in India, or I'm going to go buy a bottle. 
of honesty. They say, I'm thirsty. And, oh, I'll choose honesty because it's helping someone in India, but it still starts with, I'm thirsty and I need, and if we don't, if we don't satisfy that first imperative, we don't get the chance to do those other things. Okay. Because then, I mean, they always get put together, food and beverage. It's always like these two things that go together, but I always yeah. think of them, I suppose, differently. But so when did you start really thinking about food? Because that's more of the focus mm -hmm. now for you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, to me, they're all, it's all the same, you know, same channels, same customers, same supply chains uh, in terms of how it moved. Um, we first, I was first in the beverage world and I started to get reached out to by different entrepreneurs. The first one was uh, two women who were launching an organic baby food company. And uh, they or they wanted to. They hadn't launched it yet. And so I got to advise them. And that um, we helped scale and launch that business. And then I realized the lessons I was learning in honesty were applicable okay. in, in other places as well. And then you had also, I think you're really ahead of the, the, ahead of the crowd here. Because then you had an opportunity to be an early investor in Beyond Meat. Yeah. which was, uh, why this particular company? Why, mm. why that one at that time? So our family had become vegetarian. Uh, ooh, we've been vegetarian for about 15 years. And this is, so back in 2012, we um, read, came across an article, my wife in fact read this article about this company getting started out in California that was seeking to replicate the taste and texture of meat using only plants. And um, we had always been satisfied with the decision to become vegetarian from a ethical perspective, but we were frequently disappointed with taste. Once ago, you know, once again on the taste side. And so when we read this article, uh, and my wife was the one who said, you know, if you could help this company figure out how to scale their business, that would be a wonderful thing for our, selfishly for our family and for the world. So I sent an email to info at beyondmeat.com and I just said, love the idea of what you're trying to do. If there's any way I can help, I would be happy to. And so I became a, a board member and then invest, you know, investor and board member. And then um, enjoyed the work so much and the, and the connection with the founder, Ethan Brown, that I became the uh, chair, executive chair of the board. And that really helped scale the business. Uh, and, and, then, and now I am still chair of the board and I, I'm still really proud of what Beyond Me is doing. And I'm a personal consumer um, multiple times a week. So, so I, I'm, there's a particular one story that I because you obviously um, was a great ambassador for them. But there was a particular story I liked about you meeting Spike Mendelson. Yes. <laughs> yes. And could you tell? Would you mind sharing sure. that one? Yeah. So Spike is a, a celebrity chef. He was on this very popular show called America's Top Chef, and he and his family had several restaurants here in the DC area. And so he and I were on a panel on around food policy. And like I often do when I'm with a, someone who I consider a potential customer, I bring along products. So I had a cooler bag of some bottles of honest tea and some Beyond Burgers, and I stuck them under his chair. And after the panel, I said, I'd love to have you try these. And he said, well, I already know about honest tea, but I'll try the burgers. <laughs> so he brought some burgers home. And what I didn't know is that his wife is a vegetarian. Okay. And so she loved the burgers. And he, you know, she was finally able to enjoy these amazing burgers he cooks. Oh. Um, and so he came back to me and he said, well, let's, let's, we should launch a restaurant with, around the Beyond Burger. Uh, and I was kind of in the middle of honesty and Beyond Meat. I just wasn't able to, I had to sort of park the idea for a while, but the idea uh, okay. took, took hold. And that's you know, what ultimately led to the launch of Planet, or Planet Burger. So this is, this is really the kind of a starting moment, but you've got an amazing sort of group that you've brought together to be involved mm -hmm. in. It's not just, you know, 
you and Spike. And oh, there yeah. Are, yeah. So can you talk about how it actually got yeah. from... Obviously, you had found some more time. You managed to get... And suddenly, yeah. well, what should I do with this time? Yeah. Well, initially, there was still this issue because I was with uh, Coca-Cola and, on, and with Beyond Meat, so I really couldn't free it up. But I had wonderful delegates, uh, one of whom was my wife, who's always been... Uh, very um, engaged in these businesses, has all the right instincts around taste and branding. And then um, we also managed to uh, lure back our son, Jonah, who had been working in Israel and said, this feels like the dream opportunity for you. Because Jonah was the one who had convinced everyone in our family to become vegetarian, and, then, and as well as lots of other people we know. And I said, there's no one more effective at sort of being a persuasive person around this and, and who has so much more passion for it. And, and then Spike had some... Um, Friends he collaborated with well, so this put together the founding group for Plant Burger. And then it's, it's a bit more now, though. You're really going for another mission-driven business. Yes. So uh, it's like our choice about what we eat represents our single biggest daily opportunity to change our environmental footprint. Yeah. Eat the change. So we yeah. eat the change. And this is combining marketplace solutions with education, activism to empower consumers to make dietary <laughs> choices right. aligned with the concerns <laughs> around climate and it's health. Perfect. So yeah. there's a lot going on here. This is not yeah. a simple business model. This no. is we're, we're shifting here a lot well, this isn't we were, selling tea yeah as we were <laughs> setting up plant burger jonah came up with that phrase eat the change you wish to see in the world which of course is a an echo of the, the phrase gandhi uh, was attributed to say he didn't actually say eat the change you wish to see in the world but somebody summarized his words and connected us to gandhi and so jonah took a bit that like phrase. einstein they've just if, if you're not sure about the quote just give it to one of those guys <laughs> yes and i the more i thought about it, i realized eat the change is, is a call to empowerment it's saying to everybody, you have the ability to make change happen, and it's through what you eat. And uh, it's also accountability. It's like you, it's, it's your, you know, you can't go blaming other people uh, for the environmental issues if you're not going to eat the change yourself. And so that, to me, became a really powerful platform. And so, yes, we, we set up a grants program and, and uh, we've committed to give out a million dollars over three years to local uh, community nonprofits in the, in the United States that are helping nudge people towards planet-friendly diets. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at the same time, we thought, well, what could be a brand? If we were to launch Eat the Change as a brand, what would it be? And so we went out and looked for the most sustainable sourced ingredient we could find. And then for us, that turned out to be mushrooms. Mushrooms are amazing because they feed on waste. They grow in seven layers. So it's yeah. extremely efficient. They're very much part, they use soil. So it's not, when I'm talking about hydroponics, they, and then, um, the other thing about mushrooms is so many of them don't make it to market because they grow in different shapes. And, and often you go to the retail, you'll just see this perfect shape. And we said, all the, we let those perfect ones go to the market. We'll take all the imperfectly perfect mushrooms and, uh, and the stems, which don't make it to market, and we'll make jerky out of it. And so that's the first yeah. product we've launched. And, and this is, again, that sort of sense of uh, circular design, looking at the waste of other products. Um, I think there was, well, that was one of them, was actually the roots, I gather. That was interesting, finding the roots oh, from oh, the mushrooms. Oh, yes, yes, well, the oyster mushrooms, yes, yes. The, uh, the uh, oyster, so, so we went to the mushroom farm, the supplier we worked with, and um, we saw all of this, this what's called a fruiting body, go into these compost bins. We said, well, what's that? And, and our... Our, our host said, well, you know, we sell the oyster mushrooms. We haven't found a market for these fruiting bodies, so we just compost them. And uh, so, wait a minute, let's, let's, let's play, let us play with those. And sure enough, we were able to make those into this amazing 
product, which we call our crispy chicken fun guy sandwich at Plant Burger. And, and it's, it's, there's no one else in the world who sells um, a, a sandwich like this, and it's delicious. I think that's such a great looking at waste and finding opportunities out of it. So, yeah. but once you started with the mission, where did, where do you start? You've got, okay, we've got this idea. <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. How does that get started? Well, you know, for us, it was starting from, if we really want, if we wanted to deliver against this idea of eating the change, let's go after every aspect. So what are the biggest areas where food's footprint contributes to global warming? One is food waste. It's a terrible issue. That's, you know, you know, just, if you when you rank how we make the how we address global warming, we have to stop food waste. So, number one, let's get pick it, make it, let's let's try to capture any of this food waste, and not only stop stuff that was going to waste, but let's extend the shelf life of mushrooms from you know maybe a few weeks to 12, 12 months through this drying process, which is you know the same drying process by the way that you know was used in the Paleolithic area. I mean you know cavemen <laughs> smoke products as well. So that food waste was number one. And then organic. Let's source this in a way that doesn't take any chemical pesticides, chemical fertilizers, or um, GMOs. Let's just stick with organic. Uh, and then we, we found another interesting way to connect um, the planet challenge, which is around biodiversity. So how would, a, how would a food company address biodiversity? Well, yes, we want to include you know, more diverse ingredients that people don't normally eat on. But let's also avoid there's six crops. There's turns out there's six crops that are responsible for 57% of all agricultural output. And let's yeah. let's leave those out of our recipes. No soy, no corn, wheat, rice, potatoes, or sugar. Let's just leave them all out. And so all of a sudden we start to get some guardrails that really help us. And then the last one is around packaging. And uh, can we make sure our packaging is at the very least recyclable? And can we go deeper and you know? commit to a journey to get to better uh, yeah. and so we start there okay so, and uh how do you prototype this then when you sit there and you suddenly go okay we've got this idea we've got this yeah. concept yeah. where do you start yeah well we start in the kitchen and, and of course you know with spike what it was really fun was to set him loose i said spike let's just start with you making mushrooms as delicious as you can and he loved that because mushrooms are like a blank canvas They're, they absorb so much flavor and mm. so so that was a great place to start then uh, I said, okay, you know, once you've made the most delicious mushroom, now let's do it without those six ingredients. And, you know, to many chefs that might be, what do you mean? But he's, you know, as having been on Top Chef, he's like, oh, that's just like, you know, this is like the chef's challenge. Okay, I'll do that. I said, okay, now, now let's make sure we can scale this to make thousands of pounds of this at a time. And that's when we get to the smokehouse. And actually, the neat surprise there was that um, by smoking them, with hickory wood at the smokehouse, we actually ended up tasting even better. There was this extra note we just couldn't replicate in our little kitchen here. And okay. so that's the way I approach it. And then you get to the point where you're trying to put something in front of users and the users don't know what it is because yes. that's where things get interesting. Yeah, that's so. the fun part. That's the marketing. And, and of course, it's a little bit of a different world now because in the you know, honest tea days, all we do is get in front of a store and give out samples. You, you know, the more they taste it and believe it. But um, here we had to find different ways to do it. And actually, we are today going to our very first tasting of Eat the Change. And what we've done is, is something quite different. We've made these very little mini packets of um, mushroom jerky so that somebody could taste it in a, in, a, in a very small way, but also a very safe way. They don't have mm -hmm. to worry about, you know, bringing the mass down inside a store. We'll do it outside. And this is just getting a foot in the water. And then, of course, what we're also doing is quite a lot more social media 
and, and we have to create brand awareness and trial. And so these are different challenges today. One thing we're doing, as I speak to you during Earth Month, is we've created the Incredible Planet <laughs> Challenge, which is a 21-day challenge. Every day, we're encouraging people to, to adopt a new behavior that is a more planet-friendly part of the diet. So yesterday was to try to eat 12 different fruits and vegetables okay. you know, uh, as a way to just, avoid, once again, diversify the diet. Today is to you know um, abandon bottled water and just go to a reusable uh, water bottle. So some of these are some of these are more stretches, and some of them should be just oh that's not hard to do. Uh, yeah, but yeah. we want to make it to make it approachable. And how the product is effectively replacing jerky, which in a yes, way yes. It, this is would it be your traditional person that would think okay I'd eat jerky, or is this a person that would think okay I. would I'd like the plant-based alternative. It's I mean, really all of the above. It, right. So the, the traditional jerky eater, can they mix it up a bit and go to plant-based? Mm -hmm. Of course, that's what's happened in the meat category. But it's also people who might say, oh, you know, I was going to have a salad for lunch. Uh, the salad bar is not here anymore, but here's a bag of jerky. I could snack on that. It's a savory, satisfying snack, and, and it'll sort of address my hunger and still feel good. I think burgers always then get sort of compared with, you know, your plant-based burger against your meat-based burger. Yeah. What happens when you do this with mushrooms? What are the, the health I mean, implications? Because yeah. they're we very different. We don't try, this isn't trying to replicate the taste of beef jerky. I mean, mm -hmm. it is a savory occasion for sure. But, um, you know, what, so there's some health advantages in the sense it doesn't have, I see cholesterol. It has some B vitamins that you won't find. And in, in meat, it doesn't have the same level of protein that you find in meat. But you know, the fact is, the American diet is actually has too much protein as it is. So this is a nice way for someone to get um, something that's savory and and, and satiating, um, but also lighter. How is it with actually? You're now also trying to not only promote a healthy snack yeah. onto the market, but also you're trying to educate people about the implications of diet and the effects on the environment. Oh yeah. Um, how do you balance that? Because well, I know that's, yeah. that's that's a part of the whole brand ethos. Is around you know eat the change in in its name has that um, mission and part of it. Once again, going back to my earlier comments, that we've got to make sure we prioritize taste. So when you look at our package, it always says. Chef crafted, planet based. You know, we don't say yeah. planet based first. It's got to be chef crafted, and so we've got to make sure we're delivering on deliciousness. We've got to make sure this is something a chef, a world class chef, can be proud of. And, and, mm -hmm. and the, you know, so we put that first, and then if someone wants to learn about all the things we're doing environmentally, they're, they're welcome to dig deep with us. On and um, then there's the other thing, I suppose, is this is again about this moving into this positive change you're bringing. Yes. How do you how do you keep that energy up? Because you've you've done a lot of change, <laughs> you've done a lot, and and now you're sort of you're going again. So I, I just find what drives you. What's... Oh well, look if the world were if the problem were solved, I might be able to just lie back, and, <laughs> you know, go on a hike or something. But this is a pressing issue. This is the issue our generation is facing, and, and you know we'll have to look someday, uh, hopefully, at children or grandchildren and say, you know, we did something about this. We cared and we took action versus. Ah, <laughs> it's your problem to worry about. So this is uh, something I'm passionate about, and I, I, I love I love the challenge of uh, trying to both solve a problem but doing it in a creative way so that satisfying a need as well. That's often the you know, that's the best way to solve a problem is when the people you're asking you're enlisting in action don't necessarily even though they're solving it they're doing it for other reasons. Yeah, no, I like the motivation there, and. Um... I suppose when you started this, what do you now know to be untrue that you thought to be true before you started trying to do this? What? 
the the suspicion I had is it well I'll, I'll reframe it in a kind of different way. So so when I was in co college, I was a government major, and I kept hearing about how in college, if you pursue uh, politics, you know, then there's always this element of of selling your soul or compromise. You have to give up on certain things to get things done, and that is that's politics is the art of the possible. What I will say about business that I found a wonderful surprise is that you I don't feel like you have to sacrifice your your, your ethics to get things done. You know, and of course I've you know worked with Coca Cola on scaling an organic fair trade brand, and we didn't trade off any. Uh, parts of those values to, to bring this brand to, to, to scale. Uh, mm. And, you know, I, I feel like we're doing the same here where we know by creating those commitments early on, we've created the guardrails for this brand and we know where we won't go. And, uh, you know, there may be opportunities, obviously, if you could pick a product that's not organic, it's got to be cheaper. We could sell it for less and that might be a faster path, path to growth, but it means we don't build what we care about. So, to me, that's a really uh, uh, wonderful and positive uh, outcome of all this. And when you, I mean, obviously, you're just now on the process of getting the first product out the door. But do you then already have thoughts about where sure. this will be going? Sure, sure, yeah. Because if 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 we were just a product focused company, then we don't think about we're doing mushroom jerky, and no, we're we're building a brand, and we're really trying to build a movement, and so we know other occasions, uh, food occasions that we want to be part of, uh, other crops that we want to integrate into our supply chain, and other consumers' uh, bases we want to. And where would you like to be, in if you sort of imagine this? Because yes. we, I, like, I think you said this is a really pressing, and it is very pressing, but we're talking yeah. about you know, 2030, we have the SDGs, whether we would yeah. hit them, probably not. It doesn't look too optimistic. And 2050, net zero, there's yeah. all these sort of dates. Yeah. So it's very well, difficult to look into the future, but where would yeah. you see it's going? These things are only going to happen when we get consumers enlisted in the movement. You know, I mean, there's only so much we can do in terms of putting out ideas. And so that's why we really are focused on building this as a movement. And so what I'd love to be able to feel is look, let's get to 2030 and say, okay, well, yes, there was this pivot point we made. You know, um, I call it, it, when I talk about it with respect to Beyond Meat, I call it the flipping point as opposed to the tipping point. It's where, so right now when I talk about plant-based meat, people will, the question they'll often say is, well, why do you need plant-based meat? You know, but within five years, you're going to have plant-based meat is going to be at parity or better around taste, uh, superior advantage on nutrition. Uh, it already has a, an advantage against animal-based meat with respect to its environmental footprint. Uh, at parity or advantage with respect to cost. And then you flip the question, and I could see by 2030, people saying, well, why do you need animal-based meat? What's the, it, it, you know, the only difference is that we have to kill a sentient being in order to, to do it, then let's leave, let's leave the animal out and, and just go with the one that's uh, cheaper, better for the world, better for the consumer. Uh, and so, so I think when you can flip the way people think about those things, and, and plant-based becomes the, 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 the default option, that's when you see uh, you'll start to see a change. It certainly does seem like we've gone uh, very fast recently. There's a, a sort of a greater oh, yeah. consciousness. Yeah. But I mean, how do you feel like knowing all you do about food and the wonderful topics and stuff like that? How optimistic are you about the future then? Yeah, I am optimistic. So, so you know, the, what they say is change happens very slowly until it happens very quickly. 
And it is happening very quickly now. I mean, five years ago, there wasn't even a, in the grocery store, there wasn't even a plant-based meat section. And today, when you go to every major grocery store in the United States, there's a part of that meat section that's plant-based protein. Not just in five years. I don't know that any category has emerged so quickly and, and, uh, and so large, such a large category uh, of food. So if you can have, that can happen in five years, you know, you keep that rate of growth, you know, it can happen. But it, yeah. it, it, it's going to take the full consumer uh, engagement. What sort of was the initial kind of, I suppose, the inspiration for this conscious consumerism? Was there something in the background that sort of triggered it? With me? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say I had I was raised by two professors, and their the message they continually reinforced to me was, um, you know, act with your conscience, do things that you believe in, and and so that was my inspiration, and I certainly tried to embrace that approach in my work and my life. Because I mean, as I say, I I really love the way you you have brought that. It's been it's been amazing to see how you've managed to have this sort of impact on the world, but at the same time to go ahead and do things. You know, you're the one. Don't interrupt me while I'm doing this. You say it can't be done. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah, that's the fun part. It is fun, and of course, it's been wonderful to have my son Jonah doing this with Plant Burger, and and to see him take that same attitude and and and, and really grind through. I mean, you know, obviously this pandemic year has been challenging for every business, but restaurants especially. And there were the moments of doubt and he just grinded through and now to see it sort of get to the other side and now feel this growth coming is just really no, again, I'm, I'm a Newcastle United fan. That's a football team yeah, in the northeast yeah. of England. Yeah. They last won something in 1955. So <laughs> you have to have this optimism. I gather oh, it's similar yeah. for you with the Red Sox. That's it. That's it. Yeah, everyone loves an underdog, right? So, and and uh, you, it's all of that sweeter when you, you get the chance to yeah, experience it. Yeah. So just have to keep on hoping each it season. Always, always. Well, thank you very much. Um, but how, where can people find out more about yeah. Eat the Change? And yeah. also, what would, what would you recommend? What should people really be thinking about when yes. the changes that can be made? I know sure. you've got 21 already going on. Yes, yes. So, so Eat the Change, we have our website, eatthechange.com, follow us on Instagram. But yes, go to eatthechange.com and look for the Planet Incredible Planet Challenge because there are those 21 steps and share that and, and challenge your friends and family to join you. Say, here we are, 21 days. Let's let's follow something every day. Let's take those steps together and 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 uh, and see what what sticks. Fantastic, Seth. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And uh, yeah, keep on the mission. It's amazing what you're doing. Great to be with you, Mark. Cheers. I love the idea of guide rails at the beginning of a project. You know, first of all, kind of converging and looking at design constraints. And once we've got these constraints or these guide rails in place, we can then diverge to come up with as many possible ways of solving the challenge. And this avoids, you know, us trying to retrofit our sort of environmental sustainable issues to the design solution. I think you made a really valid observation as well that people purchase products for their own reason and taste is obviously a huge part of any food product and you really need to get that right to succeed and I can see that flipping point coming in a few years as we get more data on plant-based health benefits and the price point is really now coming down to meat it becomes like the logical alternative so if you're interested, I put a link to the 21 day challenge, even if it is over, why not try challenging yourself for the next 21 days to see how it shapes your attitude to food and the planet. 
So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did with Seth. And if you have any questions, please just drop me a line at mark at mothereartheroes.show. And I just want to say thank to Paul Fife, the amazing podcast editor. You can check him out and his music at www.paulfife.com. And I look forward to bringing you more amazing guests on the Mother Earth Heroes show. And in the meantime, don't forget to save the planet. We need to do it sooner rather than later.